it's all about the trust barrier. Most people don't trust remote. And that's why you have to over-communicate in order to overcome this trust barrier. There's another kind of black swan event out there. It is a net positive for society and remote working globally. You've earned it. You do great work. We trust you. You can work from home. You need to be flexible because you need to be ready to capitalize on it. Technology infrastructure is paramount for success in a distributed team. You're reachable and you're doing your work. That's all that you need to do. Welcome to a special edition of the Talent Economy Podcast, Top Tal's Rise of Remote series. I'm your host, Paul Estes. We're in a time of unprecedented change on a global scale. In many ways, it feels like we blinked and suddenly the future of work is now. The remote work trend has accelerated 10 years in just the past few weeks. Over the next few episodes, I'm going to interview key leaders at TopTal to get a behind-the-scenes look at how the world's largest fully distributed organization can help guide companies through these challenging times. My name is Cleanthis Giorgaris, and I'm the VP of Product at TopTal. I started my career as a software engineer, where I worked for Microsoft and several other startups and software integrators. Then I moved to McKinsey and the management consulting field, and finally transitioned to product management where I have worked for several small to large-scale startups, as well as founded my own company back in 2014. I specialize in online marketplaces and specifically the freelance and talent marketplaces, where I have focused on for the last eight years. Finally, I have been working remotely for the last five years, and I truly believe remote work is the future of work, and it will be one of the biggest drivers of the fourth wave of globalization. I look forward to talking to you about the talent in the marketplace. But before we get there, tell me about your transition. I, like yourself, worked at Microsoft for a a period of time. And it's it's a company that really is focused on location-based and bringing top talent into one of the campuses and getting work done on location. Tell me about your journey from working on location to now managing and leading a team in a fully distributed remote environment. Going remote, it's a challenge itself. I would say the the biggest difference when you take an on-site setup and you overnight, which is what happened last week with coronavirus, the actual challenge is that when you're working on-site, there are some inefficiencies and lack of processes that you can kind of hide. You can still survive because the in-person touch and contact help you overcome problems. But when you go remote, this is no longer the case. If you don't have the right process and if you don't have the right culture, the whole thing is going to collapse. So what you learn when you go from on-site to remote is the importance of having the right frameworks, the right processes, and the right culture in place. Now let's talk specifically about running product. When you're a product leader, you work in a much more matrixed way. You have designers, you have program managers, you have engineers, you have the executive team. It's a central role in an organization. And one that I would imagine people say, well, of course, all my product people need to be on location because how else are they going to communicate in such a matrixed fashion? What do you advise to other product leaders who are now trying to figure out how do I keep those connections with all of these different groups? as we try to deliver to our product roadmaps. Communication and transparency is one of the most important things that a product leader has to accomplish, right? When you go remote, you're going to face a lot of challenges. So you have to set up the right processes. 
you have to set up the right meetings, the right cadence of meetings. And you have to also ensure that there is direct communication between all these stakeholders and parties. But there is something I would say more fundamental. It's a paradigm shift. When you're working on sites, sometimes you might not have the right goals set. Sometimes you judge and you assess people's performance based on output, based on tasks, based on face time, which is no longer the case when you're going remote. You don't know how much everyone is working, what they are doing during the day, how many meetings they have. You have to get out of this mindset. You have to switch to the mindset of an, an outcome-oriented, a result-oriented mindset. You have to, to set the right goals and let your people deliver against these goals. You can't judge people based on how much you see them online. And that's a paradigm shift when you go remote. A lot of people try to take their mindset from working in an on-site environment and say, well, that's just how we work there. It has to work when we go remote. And it sounds like what you're saying is there's a significant change in how you approach work is done when you go virtual or when you go remote. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I mean. If you take what you do in an on-site setup and you bring it to a remote setup, this is not going to work because if you don't have the right goals, you're going to fail. If you don't have the right processes, you're going to fail. I would describe it as follows. When you are working on site, it's more of a synchronous paradigm. When you move to remote, it becomes an asynchronous paradigm. You should assume that the moment you need someone, this person might not be available. So you have to learn to work in an asynchronous mode. And to work in an asynchronous mode, you have to have your meetings set up. You have to have expectations, communication expectations. Hey, we need to talk in the morning. We need to talk in the afternoon. I need to know which at times during the day you're going to be responsive. I want to know how long it's going to take to respond to my message. I want to know when you're going to deliver what I ask you to deliver. It's different. When I see you, I I have face FaceTime with you. And anytime I need something, I can get to your desk and ask a question. And usually we are, we are working during the same hours. It's nine to five. We are at, all at the office nine to five. But when you go remote, you can't expect that everyone is going to be working remotely nine to five. And especially during these days with coronavirus, there are people that have kids at home. They have different schedules or you have people that working from different time zones. You have someone in the US, someone in Europe. So it's asynchronous and you have to learn how to work. What advice would you give to other product leaders or even first-time remote PMs that are trying to figure out what is too much to communicate and what is too little to communicate when they realize that transparency of communication is paramount? The way we solve this communication problem here with our product team is we have organized ourselves around what we call OKR working groups. So for every OKR that we have as a product team, we have built a cross-functional team that consists of designers and engineering managers, people from folks from operations, product managers. And this group is meeting on a regular basis every week, every second week. And we are discussing the progress against the goals. We are brainstorming together. We provide status updates. We discuss our problems. This brings a lot of alignment. But you also have to have some tools to provide updates 
on a day-to-day. And we have built our own tools here. We have our uh, initiative tracker where product managers provide weekly updates and every stakeholder subscribes to the right initiatives they want to follow and they get the updates. But these updates are not enough. As I said, it's important to have these cross-functional meetings which revolve around specific OKRs and they are very focused. Do you find that people in the top talent environment or the remote environments that you've experienced come to meetings or conversations more prepared because things have been written down and it's all very transparent? Yes. With remote, you have to come prepared. You have the right process. So for every meeting, we have the agenda posted. People know in advance what they have to deliver. I think remote by by definition makes you be more disciplined when it comes to meetings, when it comes to deliverables. At least that, that's the way we work here at Opta. Everyone is very well organized and everything is documented because you have this feeling that you don't see others and you have to always document things, have the recordings, have the presentations, everything to have everything well organized. Maybe it's this fear of, I'm not, I can't see you. So I need to be more disciplined when it comes to being organized and having the right content. When I first started experiencing remote work with a distributed team, I felt that I was more in the know, actually, than I was before because I couldn't attend every meeting or I couldn't be in every hallway conversation. But when I was working with a distributed team, we were communicating real time. All of the information was there and I I felt informed as the day went and I I knew where I could provide value or where I should share information. There is the flip side here. One of the problems that you're facing when you go remote is what I call the meeting fatigue. So in an on-site environment, the cost of setting up a meeting is very high. For instance, you have a limited number of meeting rooms. People might not be at the office during that time. Maybe they are on the go. And it's hard to schedule a meeting. During a remote environment, the cost of scheduling a meeting is almost zero. You just open the Google Calendar and you can get everyone from any time zone to join the meeting. So you have more meetings happening. You have... The cost of reaching out to you is the bar is much lower because I can ping you on Slack. While if I'm in an outside environment, sometimes I'm, I'm thinking, okay, should I stand up and go walk by your desk and discuss something with you? Maybe it's too much. I'm not going to do it. So I would say there is information overload when you are in a remote setup. You have more meetings. You have more messages going through. People don't realize that there is no cost of sending messages. There is no cost of setting up meetings. You see meetings with 30 people, with 40 people, 20 people. And this information overload is something that you have to learn how to manage in terms of timing, how much, how many meetings you have to join, but also how to organize this information because you can easily get from having information to having just noise. It's a lot of noise, as you said. Everyone is pinging you and you stop paying attention. What are some of the best practices that you've put in place Because I imagine, you know, managing such a large team and setting executive priorities and managing the OKRs, what is the system that you follow personally to manage the amount of information that's coming into you? First of all, I'm ruthless in prioritizing which meetings I'm joining. I'm always asking myself, does this meeting add any value to me and what is the opportunity cost? If I don't join this meeting, what can I do during that time? So I have two options. Either I don't join the meeting at all or... I might watch a recording later in fast forward mode, or I might ask someone who attended the meeting, hey, during that meeting, is there anything that's interesting for me? I can watch this part of the recording. 
So that's how I handle meetings. I don't want to have too many meetings. I, I have to block time to work. And I also go to my calendar and I block times during my day that are meeting free blocks. Focus time. If you don't do that, as I said, the cost of scheduling meetings is zero. People start scheduling meetings on your calendar and you get, get your entire day booked where you do nothing. So that's one thing. And when it comes to Slack, the trap with Slack is to become, to go into this synchronous mode. People are pinging you and you feel it's real time and you have to respond real time and then they respond back real time and you end up doing nothing other than responding on Slack. For me, Slack, maybe it's the biggest trap. It can destroy your productivity. So what I do personally is I always have my notifications turned off and I check them only when I want to check them. And if someone really wants to grab my attention, they can just click send notification and I will receive the notification. So you have to be very careful. You should not be on Slack responding in real time because most of these messages are urgent but non-important and you don't have to. Slack has a huge problem of prioritizing. There is no way to distinguish important things from non-important things. Everything comes real time and it, it is distracting you. You're working and you see messages popping up. So I would suggest people to, during these focus times, to turn off notifications or completely get out of Slack. Focus. And don't join all the meetings. Join the meetings that bring value to you and also block times in your calendar where you can do focus work. The reason I asked your personal approach is I think you've learned this and not everyone has. I mean, my wife, the first couple of days when she was working remote, would at the end of the day say, I didn't eat lunch because I was in meetings during lunch. And she had to realize that she hadn't to now block time to say, hey, look, I need either, you know, go for a walk. If you're a product manager, this is a bigger problem because PMs, at least for Total, you have teams sitting in Europe, engineering teams, and then you have stakeholder business people sitting in the US and you end up working throughout the entire day, people don't realize what time is there. They don't see you. They just see a Slack name, Cleanthes. They can ping me anytime. They don't realize that maybe it's midnight for me. So I have to block my calendar. I have to set time for me. I cannot be online or I cannot be real time online 24-7. I have to have time for my lunch. I have to have time to focus. I have to have time to go out for, to do my workout. That's how it should be, especially if you are working during different time zones, because if everyone is based on Pacific time zone, okay, no one is going to ping you at 9 p.m. Everyone is at home sleeping, I guess, at 10 p.m. So at 10 p.m., if you are in Europe, someone sitting in California is going to ping you and you have to set the proper expectations. I just implemented something personally for myself is turning off notifications so that I can go in and whether it's my text messages, whether it's Slack, whether it's LinkedIn or all these different communication things that I use, I go in and I actively participate and get my work done in those those applications. And I think you've encouraged me now to turn off my Slack notifications on my computer because I am struggling to find the focus time I need to do some of the, the work. Being a product leader, one of the things that's important is brainstorming, ideation, you know, solving problems. And in, in my experience, location-based, that's done on a whiteboard. You, a bunch of people get in a room and you get on the whiteboard and you write and you do those things. You lose that opportunity when you go remote. What are the best practices that TopTal uses when, when you're going through a product brainstorming or ideation exercise? We have solved this in a really good way. So we are using a tool called Miro, a whiteboarding solution, and we have 
many regular brainstorming sessions. The way it goes is that there is these kinds of imitates or simulates the sticky notes concept. So you have someone who creates a structure and organizes things. So for instance, we might start with the way we start is we go first on the problem space and we discuss, okay, hey guys, let's brainstorm what what are the problems? What are the problems we have when it comes to increasing our supply, let's say. So you have people throwing sticky notes. Then the way it works is that you have someone who is a moderator who is going to go through all the sticky notes and start grouping them so we create the common themes. And then for each of these common themes, we have a second round where we say, okay, common problems with supply. One is that there is a lot of competition in the market and that's why we can't get enough supply. Another could be that maybe our rates are not high. And you, you have a list of the problems. And then for each problem, you have a second round where we start brainstorming on solutions. So again, everyone works on its own, put their sticky notes on solutions. And then the moderator, again, goes through all of them. They, they group them. And as the result of this, we have the top problems. And then we have, for each problem, the main solutions. And then we have what we call a voting, where we go through the solutions and people start voting which one has the highest impact. And that's how we brainstorm. There are so many tools out there. It's all about to believe that this can happen. And I would say, I mean, I don't think that you're losing anything. If, if the team is trained to do that and they believe that they can do that, it can happen. And I would say that you should not be afraid of having remote brainstormings. In the past, we were always postponing them to have them during our offsite. But now, with our KR working groups, we have almost weekly brainstormings. And the results are really good. All the information is digitally captured by the nature of the way you're working. And so if anybody else wanted to check out a brainstorm or see what the team was thinking, it's been captured. It's not lost from an analog perspective on a whiteboard. I used to do, I used to take all these pictures of whiteboards and then you had to transition it into a PowerPoint. When we had our offsite, we were in a house where every wall was full of sticky notes and we were taking pictures. And then we had, we had to digitalize the pictures. Just create a mirror board for each wall and copy paste <laughs> all these photos. So I think it's working okay. And the only advice I have is that this should kind of force it. We should have scheduled brainstorming sessions. We should create a discipline around this brainstorming. It should happen. And I think to some of your other advice, it takes time for teams to learn how to work this way. So it is a change from being together and putting sticky notes on the wall to moving into that that digital world. And there's new best practices and learnings that teams have to adapt to. Some of the brainstormings happen more organically, water cooler discussions, you may, or over lunch. And here on a remote setup, this might not be the case. So that's why you should encourage people to meet even without any specific agenda. So sometimes we have this practice here in the team. We encourage PMs to meet even with PMs that they are not working with on a regular basis, just to hang out and discuss. And sometimes ideas might get born there. To your point, you have to schedule that time. You, know, you, you have to, to step away from your Slack or step away from a meeting and, and find that time because it is still important. Over the past four weeks, things have changed tremendously in the way people work, especially around remote. How would you describe this moment as it relates to remote work? What I think is happening is 
even the haters or those that don't believe in remote work are now forced to go remote because they have no other option. And it's a question whether they are going to do it the right way or not. Some of these companies, as they are now being forced to go remote, if they take it seriously and they implement the right processes and the right frameworks, they might realize that this is beneficial and they might embrace it in the future, while others, for others, it might severely impact their productivity because, as I said, going remote overnight without taking any measures is not going to work. And that's what's happening now. I guess people are seeking for remote consulting advice and they are looking on how to implement things. And that's what we're doing with these conversations. I've, I've really enjoyed the conversations with the senior leadership team at TopTal because most of the people have come from location-based environments into working fully distributed and put their energy into building a culture and a company that can thrive and, and take the best of remote work while still acknowledging that there are issues like isolation and other human issues that need to be addressed. If I had to give an advice, to employee, to managers and to employees, I would say for leaders, there are a couple of things that they're fundamental. They have to start with them. One is they have to set the right goals for their teams. They should get out of this mindset of FaceTime, nine to five, checking tasks, how, how many hours you are at the office. They have to forget about that and create a goal-oriented culture. They have to set up a communication protocol you're working remotely, right? So you have to set expectations with your team. How long, how fast do you expect people to respond? Which times during the day they are going to be working and which times they're going to be asynchronous or offline? Then you have to trust your people. It's really hard to fight against this feeling. I don't see you. I don't know what you're doing. Maybe you're not working. Maybe you're slacking. You have to set the goals and give the people the benefit of the doubt to deliver against these goals. You have to trust them. And the other thing that's super important is now that you are remote, you have to take seriously the bonding part, the team building part. You still have to find ways to meet and have even have hangouts over this remote world. You can lose touch with your team. So that's on the leader side. When it comes to the employee side, to be successful, there are people that they don't have self-discipline. And when you go remote, you have so many distractions. So you have to create your own routine to create your own discipline. The worst thing that you can do if you are remote is to say, okay, I'm at home. So today I'm going to wake up later. Okay, I'm going to go for a work today. Oh, I'm tired today. I'm not going to work. You have to create your routine. You have to try to simulate that you are in the office and establish this self-discipline. You should also set expectations with the people you are working with. You have to communicate with them. I'm going to work from eight to noon and then I'm going to take a break because I'm, this is the time I'm having lunch or I'm going out for a workout. People should know what to expect from you. They don't see you. And it's very easy to destroy or erode the trust. If someone doesn't know that you're taking a two hours break and they ping you and you don't respond, they will start assuming that you're not working, that you're not available. So you have to be transparent and open and proactive communicating and setting expectations. And it's all about the trust barrier. People don't trust remote. Most people don't trust remote. And that's why you have to over-communicate in order to overcome this trust barrier. 
I noticed when I started first working with on-demand freelancers that I was forced to trust and start working with people who were transparent and were able to set expectations and were able to communicate in a way which allowed me to not only empower them, but but ensure that I could trust that the outcome would be delivered. And, and I think to your point, there were people that had that figured out. There were people that you know created their own structure, communicated expectations, and there were some people that just struggled. What are some of the things that you've learned and and you've learned by coaching and working with your team that help people adapt to remote work as it relates to work-life balance? To start with, being a product manager is maybe one of the hardest jobs in the tech space. To be a remote product manager, as I described before, the fact that you have to deal with many different time zones, it's even harder. The problem with the PM, as we discussed, is that they have to communicate and get aligned with so many different people coming from so many different disciplines and so many different time zones, right? The problem with work-life balance is that if you're a PM, you can very easily lose this work-life balance. So here at the PM team, we, we had this problem and we set up a special initiative where we appointed a senior PM who was responsible to improve our work-life balance index. We are measuring this every quarter and we have an OKR as a team to improve this work-life balance index. So what we do is we, we provide the people with tips, ask people to block times in their calendars that they don't work. They should turn off Slack notifications. They should not check their phone. And they are completely out of work during these hours. We also have what we call PM pairing sessions where PMs are meeting and they set personal goals around work-life balance. And then you have other PMs holding you accountable. So for instance, I might have a goal to exercise five times per week. And I have my two peers that we are meeting every second week and we are checking how well we're doing against our goals. We have our, our workout competition where we are recording our workouts and the winner gets a prize. So as a team, we are really trying to maintain a healthy work-life balance. And as I said, we do that by providing people with tips and hints and tips. It also sounds like having an OKR around that and some of the tips you provided allow people to connect in a more personal way and also helps while you're solving one of the challenges of work in general, whether you work remotely or not, work-life balance is a is a challenge. But people are able to connect and talk about their workouts and things like that. Are, are you finding it harder for people to stay socially connected in in remote environments or are there ways similar to the work-life tips and tricks you shared that managers can put in place ways to keep people socially connected? That's another special initiative we have. So we have one OKR around work-life balance and we have another OKR around team bonding. So we are doing a lot to keep the team connected. So one thing we do is we have a regular hangout where we have special themes. Every time someone might be presenting his experience from recent travel, their history, where they're coming from, what they did during their childhood. And then you, we are playing games online. We are also, we have our Hangout channel. We share pictures of our personal lives. We have these uh, workouts, competitions. We also have this PM pairing where we pair people, two, three people to meet together and get to know each other. We sometimes try to organize even non-total funded trips, maybe 
some people might meet together, go for a weekend somewhere. And I feel that it's working well. I mean, it's not like being on site, but if you push for this to happen, everyone is busy. So it's not going to happen organically. But if you, again, set up the right course, have a structure on this course where, I mean, people meet, there is a topic and there is a discussion around that. And if you combine this with some on-sites that you might have once or two times per year and you meet in person, I think it's working. And at least in our team, the bonding is so strong. I would say it's stronger than anything I had before in any on-site environment. For me, it's amazing how you can maintain such a strong bonding and connection with people that you might be meeting in person once or two times per year. I had my first experience two weeks ago of a virtual happy hour. (laughs) I've been to a bunch of happy hours. I've been to many work social events. I was able to connect with 10 people that I otherwise, in a location-based and social environment, would never have met. We were all, it was five o'clock in, in all t- sorts of different time zones. And there were topics that we talked about, but it was it was a very personal conversation that really brought a diverse set of people into a virtual environment. And I'm, in fact, we're having another one tomorrow. And I, I enjoy it almost as much as the traditional social events. For me, it's also more interesting because the team is this, it's diversified and you have people from multiple different backgrounds, countries. So I would say it's more interesting when you're interacting with people, so diverse people, you learn more. If you look out 18 months, what do you think has changed in regards to how organizations work? What is the new normal? I think there is an underlying big trend here. It's a more open market. So let's take a company based in Eastern Europe. A company based in Eastern Europe, they, they, they employ some great local talent. In the past, this local talent didn't have too many options, right? But now, given the rise of remote work, these people have way more opportunities. So you have to treat them differently. It's harder to retain them because let's take a company based in Romania or Bulgaria. The talent there had two, three, four options, good options. But now the great talent there could work for American companies remotely. And now the same goes with companies in the US. So if you are a US-based company, in the past, your talent, even if they were not worth, they were not performing well, maybe you didn't have any alternative, but now you can go remote and you can get access to better talent. So I would say it's a more globalized world where it's, it's what I call democratization of opportunity. Everyone has has access to the same amount of opportunities. And this changes a lot the way we work. It's more competitive. Let's put it this way. It's more competitive for talent. It's more competitive for companies. It's a globalized world. No, that's great insights. And I think the more that people can reskill themselves into this new normal, the more opportunity they will have. Thank you for your time today. If there's a manager or an executive out there that's uh, leading a product team and is now working remote and wants to learn more about how you're working and the, and the insights from your time at TopTow, what's the best way to reach out? You can reach out via mail or LinkedIn. And I'll go ahead and put those in the show notes. Thank you again for your time today and look forward to seeing the great products that you're creating. Thank you very much. I'm your host, Paul Estes. 
Thank you for listening to this special edition of the podcast, TopTal's Rise of Remote. To hear more insights from TopTal executives on what it takes to lead the world's largest distributed company, head to toptal.com slash insights. To check out the playbook, as well as other articles that will help provide guidance during this time of unprecedented change.